artwork done with the County of LA that looks at you know water infiltration and, and uh, um, the, the contaminants. And it took a while to build. And I remember I told Mark, I called him on a weekend and I said, "Hey man, um, do you think I can buy you a six pack and we can spend uh, maybe you know a couple hours and you can teach me how to use the model? A model is a computer model, right?" And uh, I won't tell you what he said, but he said, come on, man, don't be a fool. <laughs> you, we can't figure this out in two weeks. We're still trying to figure it out now. So. Anyways, <laughs> Mark Hanna. Thank you. A lot. <clears throat> All right. Can those in the back hear me? All right. Well, thank you, Julia, and thank you, everyone, for being here. I feel extremely fortunate uh, to be able to... Uh, join uh, events like this and share my background and, and it's really uh, because of an unfortunate gift and accidental arrival um, that brings me to this place and I'll, I'll just give a, a little bit of context on that. Uh, the unfortunate gift uh, was I was born being able to do math and so with that I was stuck in those classes um, and as most of us know, math is not the most fun thing to do, but because, uh, similar to Miguel, I was able to grow up along a river, uh, I could picture how the water flowed through the rocks and into the sand and into the soils, and I was able to apply my math skills to that. So, uh, at least I was able to apply it to something that I'm passionate about. Uh, the accidental arrival is, um, so I'm from Northern California, fifth generation Californian, and uh, my family is one of those diehards, uh, I hate LA kind of uh, groups of people. And um, so I grew up in this culture of, uh, you know, oh, Los Angeles, what, Southern California. And I uh, got accepted into the graduate program at UCLA in uh, 1998 and I'm like oh, anywhere but Los Angeles <clears throat> and I showed up down here in late September of 98 and um, within hours I was and I had visited but never with that mindset of my now I live here and within hours I was thinking they've been lying to me because this is such a wonderful space it has something for everyone Obviously, it's got some low lows, right? Traffic, trash, lots of people everywhere. But it also has those high highs. This is where people are bumping into each other and we're evolving, I think, at a rate that's faster than in other places. Um, you know, foods from all over the world, people from all over the world. Um, no one here hates LA, right? We all, right, we're, we're enjoying it. And uh, just tell your friends from elsewhere, yes, LA is a horrible place to be. Um, <clears throat> so through that process, uh, after my one year grad program at UCLA that I came down kicking and screaming to attend, um, I stuck around a little bit longer and ended up eventually getting a job with the, uh, Los Angeles Department of Water and Power. Um, again, the death star of, of public agencies and, uh, my position, though, was to direct the restoration program up in the Mono Basin. So the Mono Basin is in the eastern Sierras, uh, where the LA Aqueduct brings water to the city of Los Angeles. 
And the furthest uh, reach of the Los Angeles Department of Water and Power is in the Mono Basin. And my very first task in that job was to um, fix a gate that had been historically designed to take all the water that came down Levining Creek and kick it into a tunnel that ends up at our taps and fix that gate so that it released the water down the creek and into the lake and took the excess water that was above and beyond what the ecosystem needed downstream. So it was this flipping this system 180 degrees. And while I was working on this very first assignment, I, in the back of my head, thought, oh, this is great. Then I can work in the Owens Gorge, Owens Valley, finally make it down into Los Angeles. And the end of the pipeline is the Los Angeles River. Um, and many, many years later, I was able to actually follow that path, that drop of water, and end up working in the Los Angeles River. The wonderful thing about that is uh, this is a, a, a societal uh, uh, moment, a moment in time for society that has this uh, infrastructure that is some semblance of what the LA River used to be. Uh, it's a lot shorter than it used to be now, right? It's 51 miles almost directly to the ocean, whereas, you know, it used to meander and, you know, cut a hay and bell. I mean, it would wander across the plains. Um, but to be able to work on something uh, that is so monumental to bring communities together and to uh, improve um, the lives, you know, for folks to be able to sit under a tree and, and, and have a bird land on that tree. But personally uh, rewarding and mostly because of the wonderful colleagues that it has brought me to work with and, and some of my dearest friends, Miguel and Jessica and Kat, uh, just an absolute spectacular experience for me. So the Sepulveda Basin itself is the next chapter in my career right now. And again, being able to work with Jessica and Miguel and Kat on these projects. Um, we're currently working for the city of Los Angeles on the Sepulveda Basin Vision Plan. And the Sepulveda Basin, uh, I know you've learned a bit about some of the assets and attributes and facilities that exist within here, uh, was developed by the federal government uh, in the late 30s and early 40s as they were finally, finally controlling the Los Angeles River. And of course, that's a misnomer. You can't really control a river. You can, you can attempt to control it. You can limit the risk. But with climate change, um, you know, we need to think about managing risk as opposed to controlling it. Um, because the communities have built so close to the river, right, during the dry decades, and then a flood comes and, you know, harms people and property, uh, yet that land was privately owned, what the federal government decided was instead of creating a channel downstream through the valley that was wide enough to carry all the flows of, that we would see in the river, they decided to build this large retention basin 
so that as the big flows would come out of the upstream areas, about 200 square miles, that would flow into the basin here, the basin actually has this ability to stack water. So as the water comes in, it will back up and start to fill up. And actually all of this area can be inundated with water during those very large events. So you'll notice that most of the, everything you see in the basin is floodable. The one thing that is not floodable is the Donald C. Tillman water reclamation plant. And there's a levee that goes around it. So when you entered it, you actually had to go up and over and down into that area. There's a, there's a complete ring dike that keeps the water out of that facility because it's so critical to not get flooded. So after the federal government put this facility together, uh, the city of Los Angeles grew up around it in the 50s and the city started leasing parcels of land within the basin uh, for recreation purposes. Golf, uh, the, the flyers, the, the model airplanes. Um, and over time, this facility became a, a recreational and cultural icon within the city of Los Angeles. However, its number one purpose, and you can see it start around the corner here, is a three mile long dam and levee. And then the main dam facility is, is at, the, at the outlet that allows the water to drain at a rate that the downstream channel can, can handle. So there are times, and even yesterday, there was probably water that was stacked up. And I understand come Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, we'll start to see some of these facilities back up again and Burbank Boulevard and Balboa and, or Woodley actually do get flooded and gates close and obviously creates havoc with people's uh, commutes. Um, I'm going to leave it at that because I'm starting to get into the vision plan process and I want to hand it over here to Jessica who is the lead designer of the vision plan but also uh, the lead designer of the Los Angeles River Master Plan and multiple other projects that are occurring here in Los Angeles. here in the back we heard it's a little hard to hear back there can you hear me okay better yeah okay great I'll be loud never been accused in my life of being too quiet but if I am you just let me know back there and we'll fix that right away um, it was really it's it's really a treat for me to get to follow Miguel who I think has talked about stewarding land and why the environment is so important and Mark who has talked a lot about science and engineering and math um, and I get to talk a little bit about design and how that comes together. I'm just curious for some of the students here, like what grade are folks in? What year? Just shout it out. 11. 11th grade. Everybody? Yeah? No? 12th grade. Okay, juniors, seniors. I know we have adults here too. Um, so when I was in high school, I had actually no idea what a landscape architect was. I had never heard of it. I grew up in a rural area, actually also along a river, kind of like Miguel. I grew up near the Mississippi River, which I loved. Um, we used to like play in the creeks that led down to the river, but I had no idea what a landscape architect was. 
somewhere along the line, my passion for creativity, for design, maybe a little bit of math, started to come together and I had a very big interest in architecture. Um, and so I came home and I declared to my parents, I'm going to be an architect. And they're like, we don't know what that does and what that is and we don't know any architects. And so they were like, they sent me away to like a two week program to learn about architecture. And I think they secretly hoped that I would come home and be like, oh, you were right, that's not for me. I, you know, gonna do something else. But I came home from that two week thing with design and architecture and I was like, this is it. That is what I wanna do. And it was right after my junior year of high school. So for those of you guys that are juniors or starting or middle of your senior year, that's the age when I decided that I wanted to be an architect. And I went away to architecture school, having never heard about landscape architecture ever in my entire life. And it actually wasn't until my fourth year of my college education in architecture that I even for the first time learned what landscape architects do. And it was like a light bulb went off in my head about how I could combine creative acts and also the environment in this, like, this combination of what my passion was. And I decided I wanted to go to graduate school to study that. And again, I came home to my parents and I declare, actually, I'm going to go to graduate school for landscape architecture. And I think my dad almost had a heart attack because he thought, he was like, wait a second, you just spent all these years studying architecture and we were really excited for that. We finally got excited. And now you want to be a gardener? <laughs> and I was like, no, that's not what landscape architecture and what I'm talking about, what I want to do. Yes, gardens are part of that tradition, but there's also so much more. So since then, I've gotten the privilege to become a landscape architect and planner and work on really wonderful projects that bring together some of those passions for me. And one of those passions is the Los Angeles River. So for over a decade now, this has been really close to um, my heart and also to my practice of what we're doing. Um, I'm the partner in charge of an office here in LA called Olin, and we work for different groups like the county or the city or other nonprofits, and we collaborate with nonprofits and people like Miguel with the tribal groups to be able to help imagine what the future of our city might look like. So I think it's no secret from what you've learned from Kat today and from what Mark and Miguel have said that you know maybe not all of the decisions made over the last 100 or 200 years um, for our natural systems were always like the best. Like you imagine like if I could get in a time machine and go back to like 1920, would I tell the Army Corps and the Flood Control District that maybe we shouldn't channelize the river? Absolutely, right? Like so it's very easy in hindsight to, to judge that. But here we are today now with the like legacy of a lot of those systems and we have to think about creatively and as a community about how can we really bring biodiversity, natural systems, habitat, climate resiliency back into our projects and how can we help think about like our water systems and our resources in maybe a little bit smarter way than we have historically. And that's what I get to do every day, which is awesome. A lot of that also relates to what we would call environmental justice, with a lot of you are probably familiar with this. Historically, it's really unfortunate that some of the most vulnerable populations and some of the most, like the, the poorer populations, have the least access to open space, to parks, to clean air, to clean water. And so this is where, for me, the overlap of environmental systems and social systems is really where I get to, to practice. And so, like Mark started to mention, this is 2,000 acres here at Sepulveda Basin. That is huge, right? That is like roughly, what, four square miles of space that is here. 
And in some ways, it's, it's really nice that it's here. This functions as a central park for the San Fernando Valley. How many of you have been out here before today? So a good number of you have been to the Sepulveda Basin before. Um, if you haven't been, welcome. Um, and what we'd like to see is this endure into the future as a great park space, but also to up the biodiversity, the environmental qualities, and the water quality, um, as well as the flood and climate capacities here. And so what we've been imagining over about the last year and a half at this point is how do we start to rethink and reimagine the basin working with the community, a lot of community outreach, um, to be able to think about the river and some of the habitat systems here. Um, if you look around from where we're sitting today, you will see a lot of lawn with some very large trees. Um, some of those trees, like these ones, are native trees, Platinus racemosa, they're sycamore, western sycamore trees, like hanging out around wet areas of Southern California. Um, but when you think about how much of the basin is just a, like a turf grass, um, it doesn't have a high environmental value to it. And so the idea of what we'd like to be able to do here is really up the environmental biodiversity qualities of the basin, which will help us also treat the water better, cleaner, um, will also help us to slow down water in our system. I think Kat was sort of talking about how when everything gets covered in concrete or just lawn, water moves really fast, and instead we'd like to get water into the ground uh, throughout the system here. So a couple of things that we're thinking about here. One is if you look at the river through the basin, it is one of the only areas along the 51 miles of the river that is soft bottom, meaning that there's dirt at the bottom of it and vegetation can grow up. Like Miguel was saying, the area in the Narrows or by Frogtown, that's also soft bottom there. But it's still pretty channelized, meaning that it's, it's very straight. And Mark mentioned this when he said that the engineers in the 20th century really straightened the river with the single goal of seeing how fast we could get water out of our urban area into the ocean. Um, not, not usually a great idea when you're thinking about landscape and the environment in terms of one single goal, right? We wouldn't, I, I think everybody here would say, let's think about several goals in terms of this uh, moving forward. So what we'd like to do is let the river be the river here. This is one of the places along the Los Angeles River where housing and other development does not come right up next to the channel and so there's a lot of opportunity to here to do something we would call like room for the river and to let it widen out let it move more freely let it recharge the groundwater uh, for the natural systems here and also let the natural habitat systems flourish so instead of yes there will still be lawns at Sepulveda Basin in the future for recreation for other activities but how do we think of a bigger cross-section of biodiversity out here is a lot of what we're doing. Um, so this plan that has come together um, is going to, it's in a draft form now. You can actually go and check it out online if you want. Um, and it will be finalized later this spring. But this plan brings together ideas for the next 25 years at the basin and prioritizes what we call nature-based strategies for the basin. So instead of saying, hey, how much more concrete can we put into the river to control it here at the basin. Instead, it's saying, how can we let nature do what nature has been doing for millennia, which is regulating our natural systems, providing cultural and um, meaningful opportunities for us as humans, but also all the other uh, wildlife that we share this planet with and species. Um, just over here, actually, just a couple of interesting things. This is uh, Haskell Creek right here behind us. It's a tributary. It flows down to the LA River, which is 
oh, I don't know, 600 feet from here probably, maybe. Um, we have, for example, an endangered species that nests along this creek called the least bells vireo. Anybody ever heard of that bird? Okay, good, we have some folks. Um, it likes to nest here. This is a great place for this. So that's an example of something where it's endangered. We want to have more of them. We want to save its habitat, thinking a lot about what it likes to do. The problem with that bird right now is it doesn't have enough places to forage for food, and it's really limited to these very thin lines of trees and willows along this creek and along the river. So how do we broaden that? How do we make that experience better? Um, it's really a privilege to get to do what I get to do because I get to imagine what the future might look like, and usually in concert with other people from the community. So I think the last thing I'll say is if you go back 20, 30, 40 years, the profession of landscape architecture was pretty insular, right? Like designers would come to sit at a table and like look at a model and be like, I think we shall do it this way, without a lot of community input. And I'm really happy to say that over the last 30 to 40 years, that has changed pretty significantly. And so now community is really central to everything that we're doing. And that means understanding you know, what does the future look like? It's one of the reasons I love talking to groups with students too, because you know, some people maybe won't be here in 25 years to enjoy this, but this is really the future. And <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't mean to point to them. That's not what that was. Wait a second. <laughs> I'll just point somewhere else, back here. Um, but as I thought Miguel's comment about where you know, you're living uh, in your children's past, right? So when we think about the future of the basin, it's really exciting for me to get to, to imagine that with you. And what this does when we bring it back to water, because I know a lot of we're theming about water here, is we're going to have cleaner water. We're going to have more space for water to be soaking into the ground. We're going to have more space for water to then become part of our water supply when we get it into our groundwater. Um, and we're going to have more space for our natural systems and habitat in the future out here. And that's, that's really been the community's priority. It's not, I say we and I say my, but really that's what the community has spoken that they would like to see out here because everybody realizes that our climate future is really dependent on working with nature, not fighting and trying to control it. Thank you all very much. Thank you, thank you so much, Mark.